Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Well, howdy, folks. You're with Kingdom Moments with uh, Rusty Thomas. And today is going to be one of those days we actually do an interview. And I'll be uh, introducing my special guests in a couple of moments. But I did want to make some preliminary remarks about the topic we are going to be discussing today, which is IVF. And uh, in training my children in the faith, you know, we had a homeschool and we called it the University of Righteousness. And I remember spending uh, some time with my children, teaching them about the manner of life, the nature of life. And one of the things I, I really drove home was it's not what we can do as human beings, but what we're supposed to do as human beings, according to the scriptures. So just because we can do something doesn't automatically mean we should be doing it. And this is not only true in child training, but it is true in other areas of life, which includes science. And uh, if you look what's happening today, especially in the realms of science, quite honestly, it's kind of emerged as a new idol fit for destruction. And uh, the scientists, they kind of represent the new priesthood uh, in America. And here's the thing. Science has been used, uh, I believe, by the evil one uh, to sanitize and make so much evil acceptable uh, in this generation. Uh, one of the glaring examples is like Kinsey and his uh, sex, sex research projects, right? And so the New York Times, you know, through his scientific research, the New York Times hailed Kinsey as the father of the sexual revolution. And according to an article in Esquire magazine, Kinsey was known as the patron saint of sex, whose book set in motion the first wave of the sexual revolution. And so, you know, here's this so-called scientist doing all this bizarre experimentation with men, women, children, and under the name of science, you know, promoting immorality, perversion. And because it's done in the name of science, then surely it's acceptable for human consumption and nothing could be further from the truth. We even see the, uh, the Kinsey uh, Institute, you know, making something like pornography acceptable to the masses. And so, you know, they did their research, you know, sex, gender and reproduction at Indiana University. And what they found, 
Uh, 80% of respondents said porn can educate people into what? And then 72%, it provided a harmless outlet for fantasies. And it said among those using pornography, 80% said they felt fine about it. And then one of their PhDs, senior science, says there's a lot of people out there using a lot of porn and have no problem with it whatsoever. Well, you know, science has spoken and we need to bow down and we need to kiss the ring. And so America really does two things when it comes to sin. Uh, we either legalize it or in the name of science, make it acceptable. And since that time, science has crossed so many ethical and moral boundaries uh, in their attempts to play God. So, you know, we got the stem cells from aborted babies to be used to heal the born. Uh, we found out through those Planned Parenthood videotapes that they're literally taking the aborted babies and separating out their baby parts. It's an amazing thing because, you know, the Planned Parenthood would say, well, what's in the womb is not human. And the only time it does become human is when we use their baby parts to sell to whom? Science, right? And uh, so, you know, we got the baby part scandal. Uh, we're living in an age of designer babies, you know, manipulating uh, chromosomes and things of this nature. And, uh, and one of the things we want to discuss today is the practice of IVF. And I've invited my good friend, John Speed, uh, to come on the program today so we can discuss this issue. Um, when I did the, the uh, program on ectopic pregnancy, um, it, it kind of rang some bells, uh, it stirred some people up. And one of the requests, well, if you're going to do something on ectopic pregnancy, why don't you do something on IVF? And when I contemplated that, I knew uh, the brother I wanted to interview was Brother John Speed. So, brother, I want to welcome you uh, to this program. And uh, I want to discuss with you just, you know, how our nation and science is bringing us into this ghoulish Frankensteinian, you know, deplorable situation where we're literally creating life and then using these babies as some kind of commodity uh, to better our own lives. So before we touch on this major topic, I hear tell, brother, you got a special anniversary today. So what's going on, my friend? <laughs> it's good to be here, man. Um... Well, today, it was four years ago today that we announced that we were leaving New York State to come back to Texas. Um, it was that same year, uh, 2019, when we shut down our bookstore for the day in, in protest of New York State's Reproductive Health Act. And so, um, yeah, it was four years ago today, I went on Fox and Friends and announced that. And... Um, life uh changed you know uh we've been to texas before but life changed uh radically for us and moving across country and 
leaving the church that we planted there in Syracuse. And so it's, it's an important day for us today. Well, it really, really is. And, um, and, and basically you were sort of the voice uh, for the Christian in New York state, you know, seeing this horrific, oppressive, you know, bills uh, coming forth, you know, not only crushing the lives of the preborn, but crushing your freedoms. And, um, and really the Lord just, he, what, what, you, you just, you just made up a sign, right? What, what, what was it? You just had like a, you put a sign on your, your bookstore door. Was, was that, that triggered everything? Yeah, that's what triggered everything back in January of that year. Um, we were filming babies are still murdered here at the March for life in Washington. And on the way back, it was on the radio that they had passed the Reproductive Health Act. And obviously, at that point, it's really too late to do anything to stop it. It's already done. But I couldn't really sleep that night that mm. I was considering that. And I prayed and just said, Lord, you know, what would you have me do here? And the idea came across just put a sign up and say, you're shutting the store down for the day and out of uh, protest as a day of mourning. And then, um, you know, we won't be collecting sales tax today because we're not selling anything. So we won't be <laughs> collecting anything. And then right. we'll reopen the next day and collect sales tax, but we'll do it under duress. And mm. um, yeah, Marcus <laughs> sent me a message and said, hey, take a picture of that sign. Just send it to me. I really did not know what he was about to do, but I <laughs> I did that and went home and thought oh, I got a day off and and then my my Facebook notifications started going off like a machine gun and I found out we went viral and um it just seemed to resonate with people that there was actually somebody doing something to protest it. I don't think it was necessarily all that substantive, but right. I was just trying to make a statement to my customers, you know, like. Well, this, you, you kind of see that, John, too, with this um, country boy from Virginia, right? I mean, he's a kind of a raw guy, you know, uh, even says a couple of cuss words in this song, you know, about the right. Richmond from Richmond. Uh, <laughs> but boy, it has just given voice, you know, to Americans who are so disillusioned with the state of this nation, you know, it just it, it just strikes the chord, you know, and, and to a certain degree, you know, what you did had a similar uh, impact. And so praise the Lord for years and still going strong in Texas. I'm so glad you came, brother. Meanwhile, <laughs> I'm ready to get packed up and, and yeah. move to Florida. God help us all. But uh, anyway. <laughs> So, brother, if you can, just give us a little bit of your background and uh, some of your uh, Christian testimony, buddy. Yeah. Well, um, I was brought up in a, in a home that was Christian for sure. I grew up going to church, but I don't believe I was saved until uh, about 2003. At that point, I was pastoring a church up near Buffalo, wow. New York. Yeah. You were pastoring? And yeah. I'd been pastoring at that point for about 12 years. Wow. And so I grew up in the church. You know, I heard all this stuff, pray the prayer, walk the aisle, 
you know, you're saved if you do that. And um, I valued religion. I valued Christianity, but I would never, I can't ever say that I ever really repented at, at that mm. point. And um, I, I heard a man preaching named Keith Daniel. He came to our area to preach and he, his ministry is really unique. He, he just quoted a lot of scripture. He has a lot of the Bible. Well, he's gone now, but he had a lot of the Bible memorized and um, he was just quoting scriptures and and the sermon was called The Complications of the Spiritual Birth. And he was talking about from John 3, and he was talking about like false conversion. And oh. I'd heard about it before from Ray Comfort, but I, I didn't really grasp it at all. But I grasped it that day, and the Lord was very gracious and um, just showed me that I had never repented of my sin that um, really I wasn't really even trusting Christ for my salvation. I was trusting in my works as a pastor. Wow. And, uh, yeah, that was radical. It, it um, Things changed in a hurry. And within another year um, of really working through all of that and realizing it was true that I really hadn't come to Christ till that point, um, I, uh, after about a year, I resigned from that church. I got into full-time street evangelism. That mm. had been, by that point, it was 2005 uh, that I started that. And then, uh, yeah, that's kind of what happened there. Wow. Praise the Lord. But that's so, that's so incredible that, you know, somebody could be behind a pulpit, full-time ministry, and really didn't know for sure if you had tasted you know, the salvation of the Lord, you yeah. know, that's, uh, I've heard a, a few of those testimonies uh, of people like serving in full-time ministry and actually uh, were unregenerated. Um, and it's an amazing thing, but thank God, you know, he, uh, he opened your eyes to that and gave you that gift. And I know you've been serving him faithfully ever since, buddy. So praise be to God. So I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you and I met uh, in the aftermath, well, a two-day aftermath of releasing uh, the first documentary, Babies Are Murdered Here. Is, is that how we met? I, you know, I think it was even earlier than that. I think we, I, we spoke at a conference together, you may not remember, Jeff Rose had put together a conference in Philadelphia. Oh, and I, you were there. You were yeah, there. Was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and oh my I, gosh! I don't think I, I don't even know if I was. I don't think I was talking about abortion back then, or I don't remember. I know you were, of course. And yeah, I oh think we my. filmed you there. We filmed you for that documentary while you were there. So, yeah, I don't remember what year that was. I, I was doing abortion clinic ministry, but I wasn't preaching there for that. But you were. And yeah, yeah I think what, what was interesting. I think what was interesting about that, brother, because it was a street preaching conference and we, we, we had about close to 200 folks there. Um, I think um, the Lord just uh, helped connect the dots with some of these guys. In other words, they were already sort of tried in the fires of the public proclamation of the gospel 
but I guess it was sort of a novel idea to take the gospel to the death camps, you know, and some of them connected the dots, brother, and boy, some really good fruit came from that. Mm -hmm. Um, The interesting thing, brother, was, of course, at that time, I didn't know y'all were filming um, and certainly didn't know uh, that 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 message was going to be a part of the documentary. So the thing that I remember the most was uh, after uh, it was released, uh, I think it was Bobby McCreary contacted me and said, Rust, I just want to, you know, compliment you um, on the documentary. And I'm like, Bobby, what are you talking about? He goes, you don't know? I go, no, I don't know. What? He goes, you're, you're, you're in a documentary. I said, seriously? And that's when Marcus and you, he contacted me. Oh, yeah. By the way, yes, you're, you're in this documentary. And so I woke up and was like, Lord, how in the world do I find myself in these situations where I don't even have a clue, like, what's going on? But I, I will tell you this, brother, the fruit that came from that documentary has been absolutely massive. Mm-hmm. Uh, even to this day, John, where, where I travel, um, people are still talking about it. That was the point where the Lord convicted them and recruited them in the battle. So, brother, based upon you did two documentaries, babies are murdered here and babies are still murdered here. So uh, explain, brother, how those those two documentaries, how that kind of brought you into the abolitionist movement, but also eventually uh, established Lore TV. So uh, just give us uh, a little history on on those two things, buddy. Yeah. Um, Babies are murdered here was kind of an accident, really. I (laughs) God gets the glory for it because it wasn't because it was such a great plan or anything. We brought Marcus to Syracuse to film like a sort of promotional video for our church. But I made a mistake and I sent him back early and like Sunday morning, he was supposed to fly out. He did. He flew out Sunday morning before we even had worship service. So he couldn't really do this thing. So he's like, what are we going to do? And I told him, well, I'm going to this abortion clinic um, that says they advertise that nobody goes there. And so the people that go there can feel safe that they don't, there's no protesters out front in front. And so let's just go there, you know, and we'll film what happens and see what happens. Well, it went it went really well and the idea we really didn't have a plan for a documentary we just did that it went so well we put a minute and a half clip out on youtube after he got back and babies are murdered here was written on that sign and yeah so did you write the sign specifically for that outreach it was made for that outreach i didn't do it a street preacher named robert gray had the yeah. idea for a long time and robert was really the guy who was the impetus behind it and he and my wife sat there the night before coloring these signs and we made it for that outreach and um had no idea it was going to become a thing but mm. we sh- we released that u- short youtube video and it just went crazy people all over the country took the idea and started running with it 
So that yeah. whole first documentary was just us traveling around filming what they were doing with the idea. And then really the whole focus was the gospel. You know, let's preach the gospel in front of these abortion mills. Well, the second one was babies are still murdered here. That was more focused on legislation. And um, I uh, didn't really think that my part would be very big in it. Um, because I just thought that we did that thing in Washington and that would just kind of tie me to it. But then when we went viral, I got a bigger role in that as well. But that mm -hmm. second one did focus on legislation and bringing biblical principles uh, on how to talk abolition with these city councils and with state legislatures and stuff like that. And so John, is it safe to say that uh, from the first to the second, that was your transition into the abolition abolitionist movement? You know, uh, you sort of, it, it was a slow transition. It, it was because I started watching what um, AHA was doing at, with their state legislation stuff. And I was kind of an enemy of AHA. Not kind of. I was an enemy of AHA. We had some famous fights. Yeah, I, I woke up to that, by the way. <laughs> I was thrust in the middle of it. <laughs> you were. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. But That's it, all right. But he kind it of worked was, it out. Yeah, he did. He did work it out wonderfully. And I began to see, you know, what the, what they were saying. And I shifted. And then while we were filming the second one, Sarah Cleveland and some other abolitionists, I was involved with, you know, they helped either with the film or city council stuff. And I began to see these people are really consistent and they're they're wonderful people i've been fighting them for years mm. and um we're in texas for the for the bill um the committee hearing with, with uh leach chairing yeah. that committee and russell hunter walked in and i'd never even met him before and the, like the lord just impressed upon me very strongly you need to go over there and you need to just apologize for everything you've done wrong over these last few years wow. and don't worry about him just just focus on what you've done and i did and it was like just an immediate reconciliation and it was really that point i think that i fully just sort of forget it i can't fight this i'm just gonna fully embrace this mm. and um yeah, it was wonderful. The reconciliation that happened is something that still just really blows my mind and I'm very thankful for. Oh, absolutely, brother. And um, so how did uh, these two documentaries um, eventually lead you and Marcus to creating Lure TV? Well, uh, the second one, Babies Are Still Murdered Here, ended up on Amazon Prime. And it was going along pretty well there. We were getting a lot of good reviews, four and five star reviews. 90% of the reviews were like that, four and five stars. And then one day, Amazon just pulled Babies Are Still Murdered Here completely off their platform. And they sent us an email saying that... Um, it was because we had not, our ratings had fallen beneath their minimum standard. They didn't tell us what the minimum standard was, but when you're looking at 90% or four and five stars, I mean, like, mm. you have to have a 
crazy high standard fall <laughs> 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 below um, something. And so that kind of woke us up and it, we get, Marcus had been thinking for a while, like there ought to be a platform where we, you know, we can try to really challenge the status quo in terms of Christian film. You could, you could never get babies are murdered here, you know, made by any major Christian film company or, you know, distributor or whatever. And, and then, you know, so the idea that, you know, we need to create something that has some artistic freedom that pushes the envelope on uh, the art of Christian film and this sort of thing. We've been talking about that for a while, but that really pushed us over the edge. And Marcus said to me, he says, man, I just don't know who to talk to. And it was then that I remembered that I knew a guy who had done startup type stuff in the past and we ended up pitching it to him and that kind of got everything moving. That's, that's what really got Laura going. Okay. And can you describe uh, for the audience what, what Laura is? What we like to say is Laura is uh, like, if you took Netflix and Kickstarter I, and they had a non-woke baby. That would be Laura. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and that's it. Like Kickstarter funds projects. Netflix, of course, streams film. But if you could fund and stream off the same platform, and now what we're doing is subscribers get their subscription money converted into platform currency, which is, you know, the Gen Z and that they're familiar with, ga- um, you know, like gaming currency within video games it's trans it's made into that and then what you do is you go on the platform and you look at these different projects that are being funded and you can decide each week you get a certain amount of what we call loot and you can spend it on the stuff you want to see made and so there's so tra- you got loot for lore <laughs> Loot for lore, yeah. <laughs> and, well, we're uh, gonna have that. We're gonna have uh, that link uh, in the research uh, resource section of this interview, buddy. So we'll encourage great. folks to check that out. So praise be to God, and it's kind of moving along, right? I mean, you guys yeah. are gaining some traction. We have um, we've had a couple of things, a couple of episodes fund on there already. Um, and so it's working. Uh, there's a lot of excitement there. Uh, we've had some exciting advisory board members sign on. Eric Metaxas uh, signed wow. on a couple of weeks ago. So brother uh, Eric, Rod- huh? Yeah, yeah. He's a good brother. Wow. Yeah. And then Rod Martin, who helped start PayPal way back, uh, back when Elon was with them, and they were starting from the ground zero. Uh, he's, uh, he's signed on. And so we got, it's interesting. There's the Lord's doing some neat things. Well, well what's interesting. I just watched a, um, a Jordan Peterson, like brief video about 10 minutes and he's, he's interviewing brother Eric and he's asking him specifically about his conversion to Christ. And he allows him to share the dream, you know, the supernatural dream that changed Eric's life. And he just he just let him he just let it rip, you know what I mean? Uh, it, it was just very interesting. Uh, but to, to have him on your on your board, brother, that's that's a huge um, endorsement for sure. Yeah. Well, praise God. Well, 
Brother, we are going to segue now really into um, the major topic we wanted to discuss, which is IVF. And so if you can, buddy, just briefly define for us IVF and and describe its practice. Sure. Uh, IVF, short for in vitro fertilization, it just means under glass, fertilization under glass. And so what you have is a the most bare bones idea of it. You have a Petri dish and you have a human egg and you have human sperm and you're trying to cause fertilization there in the Petri dish. And so there's a whole process that takes place where women will have their ovaries hyper, well, really heavily stimulated anyway, and they'll produce a large number of eggs. And um, of course, there's, there's they in these IVF clinics, they collect sperm. And for couples that are dealing with infertility, they can go there and uh, try to have a baby this way. Uh, you know, if they're able to use their own material, their own eggs, their own sperm, um, you know, one of, the, of one of the other partner, uh, they'll do that, but then they'll use whatever's lacking from somebody else. And, mm. um, you know, uh, there's what ends up happening is they harvest uh, a lot. They try to get a lot of eggs. They try to fertilize a lot of eggs. And then there's just a certain attrition rate that happens with it. So you'll have, let's say you have 15 fertilized eggs, successfully fertilized eggs. Well, you'll have a certain number of those eggs that don't last very long, or you'll have a certain number that doesn't meet the grading criteria of that clinic. And so they'll say, well, we'll take, for example, there's a clinic here in Fort Worth that says, you know, we'll keep all the A's and the B's. You know, it's like grading back in grade school. We'll, we'll mm -hmm. uh, keep the A's and the B's, but anything that doesn't meet to that level that is not uh, considered healthy enough to be graded an A or a B, we're going to discard those or donate those to science or something like that. Well, keep in mind, you believe that pro-life movement saying all the time they believe in life at conception. What right. you're saying at that point is that these human lives aren't up to snuff, and so we're just going to discard them. Um, mm. And then what they'll do is... So what did they do, Brother John? What did they do with the grade A and grade B? Yeah. With grade A and B, they will take those and uh, implant um, them, not all of them, but they'll implant a certain number of them into the uh, 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 uterus of the, the mom that who's going to want to have the baby. And they will, uh, sometimes they'll do multiples. They'll do several because they th in case... Um, the one or two of them don't survive. They have, you know, they have something. So one of the, one of them will, uh, will take and will uh, grow to become a baby, uh, a full blown, you know, fetus. But, um, in the event that either, well, either one or two of them die, um, you know, then 
they've got that one. But the other thing that can happen in the event that all three take, if the mom doesn't want triplets, then they do selective reduction and they mm. reduce the ones that they don't want. So essentially you've got an abortion at that point. Wow. Um, and I would argue you have abortions even before that because you've created human lives that have been in some cases destroyed because they didn't grade high enough. And, and so, then I'll go ahead. So uh, now there's, there's another aspect of IVF that uh, a lot of people are struggling with as well. Uh, where, where does the freezer come in? Right. The freezer, after they've uh, gotten a certain number of these eggs that is you know, graded high enough, and they've implanted the ones they want to implant, if they have others, then they put them into these cryogenic freezers of cold storage. They freeze these uh, embryos, these fertilized, you know, these are, these are human lives, put them into freezers so that they might be able to use them later. And um, the parents have to pay like an annual fee to keep, those babies in those freezers to pay for their upkeep those embryos they got to keep them and so they pay for that however Mm. even the ivf industry is struggling with the idea okay now because there comes a time when some of these couples just can't afford to pay for them anymore and so they get abandoned um just left there and there's a big ethical question that you know what do we do with these abandoned embryos and so uh, some clinics will say, well, you know, we do adopt them out and um, they can get paperwork signed. Every clinic does it differently. Some won't do it unless they have a certain number of patients who agree to have their embryos adopted out. Um, others will, will do it for whoever, but I've heard of one clinic locally that won't do it unless there's a certain number of patients who've agreed to do it. I'm not sure what their reasoning is for that, but that happens as well. It's an amazing thing, brother, because, you know, motive wise, you know, obviously there's a lot of couples who are barren. And the fact that even in this culture of death, the fact that they want a child is, you know, obviously um, commendable. Right. Uh, but then again, we, we're not clearly through the actions that we are taking uh, to see that happen. And, and again, I just kind of fall back on just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do something. And I, I think that's the problem with science, brothers, that we are we are we're, we're heading into obviously incredible realms, you know, of scientific breakthrough. But, you know, what's 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 happened to our ethics? You know, what's happened to our morality? You know, that has become a huge casualty uh, in all this. And so, brother, um, you know, you're you're, you've been, you know, involved in the abolitionist movement and you've been helping to fight the battle. And we've been together at certain places, certain times and always appreciated when we get to serve the Lord in the battle. But brother, tell me, how how did you transition? Well, I mean, I, I know there's other things that you do uh, to help the pre-born, but how did you sort of begin to focus on IVF? 
Well, over the last couple of years in the abolition movement, there's been discussion at conferences about the issue. And so over the last couple of years, I've been, you know, going to speaking at some of those conferences and listening to what some brothers like Dusty Devers and um, uh, Russell Hunter to some degree and um, some others have said. Pastor Callie, right? Pardon me? Pastor Callie? Yeah, right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. What was I thinking? Pastor Callie with his documentary. Um, it's all been very educational. And so I've been slow to, to do anything up until with Lore, uh, we were working with Choice for Two on their animated Exposed series. And Laura Claussen was working on the Build-A-Baby uh, animated short that we released back in June. And mm. I've been helping out a little bit on that with some sort of production side things and a little bit on the research end, not much, mostly production. And then when she had it about ready to go, she asked if I would write up something, you know, like you've seen build a baby. Now what? And I like to do that, you know, put a gospel message in there and give some resources, whatnot. And I was able to do that. And I gave it, I sent it in to her and she says, well, can we put your name on it? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I, I, I really kind of, I didn't answer right away. Like I gave it some thought. Was, um, you know, I know people who have had IVF in their families. They've done it to have children. And, you know, it's just, it's, you have to count the cost. And, right. and I thought, you know, this could cost me something, but do I really believe this? Do I believe that these are lives that are being sacrificed? And if I believe that, then they, they wanted a pastor to put their name on it so that they could say, look, here's a pastoral response. To right. it. And I thought it was wisdom in that. And so I always, yeah, I prayed about it and I said, you know what? I got to do it. But then once I did that, then I then I really I thought, you know, if I would go to an abortion clinic to try to stop someone from murdering their baby, why wouldn't I go out in front of an IVF clinic and try to reason with the parents who are going there, the couples that are going there and try to talk to them about this thing? It's completely different. Is that what you ended up doing, John? That's what I've been doing for since it released. Yeah, since uh, okay. June. I've been going to the so, clinics. So um, obviously it's um, a, a different, I mean, it's the same battle, but, you know, kind of a different aspect of the battlefield. So when you go out there, John, uh, you know, do you have certain signs? Do you have application? And, and what is it like, buddy, if you, if you do get a chance to engage uh, these couples, what, what's kind of the nature of the conversation? Yeah, it's it's there are some similarities to like what we would do at the abortion clinic. You do have signs I use. Well, we decided to go with babies are frozen here, <laughs> and oh, okay. um, that that has had an interesting. Like we have a lot of people driving by who will stop and say, "What in the world is going on here?" And, and so we get to talk about IVF that way with people driving by. 
Um, Babies are forgotten here is another one that we use for a sign. And we use, um, depends on the clinic. At the one clinic we have used amplification when we open our preach out there. Um, but a lot of my interactions are, I try to go for one-on-one interactions. I just, I only have enough time to say, hey, we're here from, by the word Baptist Church, we are here to talk to you about what the Bible says about fertility uh, or infertility, infertility. And they're usually in a hurry to get inside. And so I usually tell them, I'll be here when you come out, come talk to me. And that's about all the time that I have. What's been surprising is how many we've talked to. I didn't think, I thought it'd be more like the abortion clinic. I thought it would be a lot harder. We, they come and they talk and we get Christians who are doing this because largely in the evangelical world, this is accepted. Um, And we get people who are not. And uh, it's one, I mean, and what I do is I ask a lot of questions. I don't, even though I, I think I know the answers, I let them say it. I just ask them, how many embryos do you have in frozen storage? Or how many embryos were created to get to the ones that you have in frozen storage? Uh, I ask them if they have any other children by IVF, and there's a lot of times they do. I'm very gentle with them and try to very clear. I don't say your children that you've had by IVF are not real people. I'm not saying they're not, they're made in the image of God. What I am saying is that these babies you have in frozen storage now, these embryos, have you thought about what you're going to do for them? And um, I try to encourage them to think about that. You know, uh, what will they do with them? And then if they're early in the process, I try to convince them not to do it, um, wow. which is a hard, it's a hard sell. It's a hard sell. Yeah. So have have you um, witnessed like any couple like repenting and and like seeking a different way, you know, to try to conceive and bear children? We had a guy a couple weeks ago who was out there and um, one of our team talked to him for probably half an hour. And he said he was going to talk his wife. Now we, I, I don't have confirmation other than what he said, right. but what he said was that he was going to try to talk his wife into not doing it. Now wow. it, it really is remarkable. Um, you know, some of them, the Christians that I've talked to, I usually ask them about when life begins and they always will say, yeah, fertilization or conception. And I'll define that as fertilization. And then right. when I ask them, how many did you go through to get to this point? I've yet to have a Christian not tear up when when they admit how many. That There's a sensitivity in their conscience to that. Wow. Which there should be. And then it's just, it seems like, John, we, we're just not reducing God's word and his law down to conception. It's, it's almost like because it's not seen or in a, in a freezer somewhere, it's really not real, you know, in most people's minds. 
And it's like we've bought into this whole deal that we can create life uh, and, you know, and use it to better our own. And, uh, and what's staggering is how many Christians haven't thought through this. And, and I mm -hmm. get it, brother. I mean, my heart goes out to couples who are barren and want to have children. You know, I get it. But man, like, have you thought through what, what we're violating to get there? And how many lives have we created and destroyed uh, to get there? And um, so it sounds like when you're when you help them connect the dots, uh, their conscience is convicted. Mm -hmm. It's a dangerous spot at that moment, right? Like I was telling Laura about it, that I, I get the feeling that <laughs> they're at that moment, they can either do something, respond somehow, or they're going to harden their hearts towards what they've heard. Yeah. And, and sometimes you see it. Sometimes you see them harden their hearts. And what, what what's sad is they're hardening their hearts against their own children that they yeah. in these human lives that they've helped create. And what I'm fearful of is that when they when you get to that point, when you start hardening your heart towards your own sons and daughters, that you know, there's you see it in Exodus. God also hardens their heart, right? Mm, like, yeah, um, at some point. Yeah, at some point. I don't know when that point is, but um, I wonder. And I have met people out there who profess to be former Christians who I get the impression that that's exactly what's happened. They've, they've hardened their hearts against their own children. One lady, just without blinking an eye, told me, she says, I went through 15 uh, fertilized embryos to get the one that I have in frozen storage. And she didn't, she didn't care at all about right. it. And right. um, I, th I think uh, who knows what goes on in the conscience, who knows what goes right. on in, the, in their hearts. I don't know, but uh, it's, a, well, it, it's a great place to present the gospel to people as well at that point. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, brother, um, we're going to kind of wind down on the interview, but before we sign off, brother, there may be, you know, I, I don't know who hears all these podcasts, brother. I do know when I travel, people say, oh, I heard this podcast and this really helped me or this blessed me. But you never know, brother, where, where this goes. But there may be some married folks out there who truly, you know, want to bear children, which, again, that's a wonderful, good motive. Um, but what would you challenge them uh, concerning IVF? I would remind them that the Bible is very, very clear that God is the one ultimately. And I, and I would, I would, I would also at the same time, I would, um, you know, uh, I would weep with them if they're in my church that over the fact that they're not able to conceive. But at the same time, I would remind them that uh, God is the one who opens and closes the womb. Yeah. And that when the scriptures have spoken to this, for us to say, well, I think I found a way around that. Um, 
at that point, it's dangerous because then we are in danger of making this idea of a family or a child into an idol that we must have no matter what the consequences are and no matter no matter uh, how what it does in my own heart spiritually. And so um, that's the point that I warn them about the most is, you know, and remind them, even in the Bible too, we have these incredible examples of people who are barren who later on conceived. Yeah. And yeah. God is able to and open I've, the and I've seen Brother John through the years where they were so desperate and never conceived, and so they would adopt children. It was amazing. They would adopt yeah. children and then they would conceive, you know, and uh, just the Lord. It happened you know. in our church just recently. This couple was infertile and they are infertile. And one of the babies that was um, really saved because of the Roe v. Wade being overturned here in Texas, uh, they couldn't get out. The mom couldn't get out to have it done anywhere else. So she had the baby. Well, she gave her baby up to for adoption to this couple in our church. And it's so wonderful to see this <laughs> beautiful <laughs> little boy grow up, you know, growing in, in the church. And, you know, just the excitement that the parents have is beautiful. And, um, Amen. yeah, Amen. I mean, yeah. Well, bro, I want to thank you so much for taking time. Uh, I know we covered a lot of territory uh, but thank you, brother, for weighing in on this. And I do pray the Lord uses this uh, to, to bring some illumination to this area that's needed. Um, but anyway, buddy, thanks so much. And brothers and sisters, uh, this is Kingdom Moments with uh, Rusty Thomas. And as usual, uh, you keep pressing on to that high calling prize in Jesus' name. And oh, by the way, we're going to have uh, the resources from Brother John, the uh, two documentaries, a link to the Lord TV, and then the uh, powerful video, Build a Baby. That's all going to be available. Well, till next time, folks, God bless you.